This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Red Sox beat on CLNS Radio. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started trash out of me today. I'd be totally cool with it. Because it would, it, it, if that doesn't give Sam all motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter the first unanimous vote. And I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievement or a new milestone. So don't just be like, yay, we, we saw this player through on ceremony. No. Now, to your hopes. And welcome to another edition of Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Media. I am Jess Thomas alongside Lauren Campbell. Jared's scallyless week this week, but nonetheless, video is still happening, even if it's just the two of us. Uh, Lauren, how you doing? Doing great. It was a weird week for, for the baseball and for the Red Sox world, but you know what? And we know, I know we have a lot to talk about, but overall, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with this week. As you should be. But either way, we're going to talk about it here on CLNS Media, which is the leading online provider of audiovisual coverage for New England professional sports. You can follow CLNS on social media, on Twitter, at CLNS Media, Facebook, CLNS Fans, and you can download the mobile podcast and listen to all of our wonderful shows here at the station, including this one. So make sure you go over there, iOS or Android, and search CLNS, and you'll find it there. Uh, you can find us, Red Sox Beat, on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat, and on Facebook at Red Sox Beat Podcast. So make sure you do all that. We would love you for it, and we'll love you anyway, but we love you even more if you did that. So thanks in advance. So we're going to roll with the two of us here, um, video style, looking fly, as we always do. And, uh, I mean, we got a lot to discuss between David Price's Details emerging, and also Rafael Devers getting promoted, but I figure we'll start with this strange three and four week that it was. If that's cool with you, that's cool with me. You you are the show host. You take the lead. Wow. Such an honor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start on Monday. Uh, Red Sox, Blue Jays, four-game series here started on Monday. This was a four-to-three loss. And this one was just kind of a weird game because it was in Toronto's hands for most of the game, and then the Sox stole it back, and then it ended up being in Toronto's favor, 4-3. to three. Uh, This was the Marcus Stroman game against Eduardo Rodriguez. It was Rodriguez's first start back from the DL, and he wasn't too bad. He got eight strikeouts, which was excellent, in five and a third innings. He got three runs overall. Four walks, six hits, not great. You know, ten base runners there, but... He didn't pitch too bad overall after the first couple innings when he gave up a RBI, two RBI double from Kendrys Morales and a solo home run by Steve Pierce. Skip ahead to the seventh inning off Stroman. Uh, these were unearned runs because of an error, but 
Sox got three runs in the inning, capped off by Dustin Pedroia, RBI double, and unfortunately Betts was thrown out at home, which put a wrinkle in the inning because it would have been a 4-3 to lead. Instead, Toronto ended up taking that same 4-3 to lead when Steve Pierce got an RBI single just a half inning later, which is really frustrating off Heath Hembree because Fernando Abad pitched one and two-thirds good innings before Hembree came in and gave the tie right back up just as they had tied the game. So this one was just annoying because it's like you get all the way back right there late in the game and then just blow it a half inning later. And that's when bullpens are your worst enemy, right? They The bullpen has been our best friend and worst enemy all season, and it's so frustrating when, like I said, we have the game right there and the bullpen just goes and blows it. It's It's frustrating. Yep, that's the thing with bullpens. When they're good, you love them, and when they're bad... Even if they give up one run, if it's at the worst time, then you're still you still hate them because you know they blow the game. You're yep, tied and exactly. and then it's that's it, which is too bad. So that was that game. Good to see Rodriguez back. Uh, you definitely could have pitched worse. Definitely could have pitched better too, but we'll mm-hmm. certainly we'll certainly take it. Um, and that brought us into Tuesday. This game was fun, and by fun I mean it was a lot of baseball. So if you like baseball, it was good. If you don't, stop watching or why you're listening to the show, or anything, really. But uh, this game went 15 innings, which was just a couple days after Saturday's game went into 16 innings against the Yankees. Um, This one was even more wild, because there were multiple runs scored in extra innings as well. Uh, We'll go back to the beginning of this game. Brian Johnson got a spot start for, uh, for Doug Fister, because he pitched in the 16 inning game. So, Lauren's man, uh, Mrs. Brian Johnson, as she calls herself, he uh, he pitched here. He gave up three runs in six innings, eight hits, four strikeouts. Uh, he had a couple rough patches, but overall he really pitched well uh, and got them six innings, which is really impressive. Uh, Jay Happ on the other side pitched pretty well, too, in only five innings. He gave up two runs. But this one was obviously all about the bullpens because it went into a lot of extra innings. A couple highlights. Chris Young hit a home run in the fourth. Uh, Dustin Pedroia hit a solo home run in the sixth. That made it 3-2, to two, and then the Sox tied it up with Pedroia again one inning later with an RBI double after that. That made it 3-3, three to three, and then that was the score going into extra innings when Toronto scored on a sack fly for Ryan Goins to give him a 4-3 lead. But the Sox said, no, we're not losing this game, and Mookie Betts RBI'd Jackie Bradley Jr. in on a single. Bogarts was thrown out at third on the plate, which is annoying because it could have been the winning run there. But fortunately, four innings later, which was a few too many, I'm sure, for most people in this uh, four-hour and 59-minute game, but Hanley Ramirez absolutely just, oh, my God, he killed the ball. It was so far, hanging breaking ball, terrible location. He absolutely annihilated that thing so far into the night that there was no doubt about it the second he did it, which was nice to see, right? It's good to have him to do things like that. Oh, yeah, and it's fun, you know, I know we've had our fair share of kind of crapping on Hanley this season, but you knew as soon as that ball hit the bat, you knew it was gone. Hanley knew it was gone. All of Fenway knew it was gone. And it was, it's just, it's so fun to see. And I don't know if you saw the still picture from the night when Hanley's coming around third and they're all just. That was the just, coolest picture. It's like, you have Vasquez doing like some kind of squat. You have Ben Intendi looking like a schoolgirl giggling. And then you just have everyone just, like, happy and just, I mean, they're probably going to leave the games over because they know they have the West Coast road trip coming up. They're probably exhausted from five hours of baseball. But it's it was good to see Hanley come in clutch when we need him to. This is exactly why he's our DH, because we need him to do things just like this. 
Yeah, that's exactly right, and it was really nice. Uh, I was really annoyed because I watched the entire game, and I walked out of the room just for a couple minutes, came back in, and I was like, oh, great, they won. <laughs> <laughs> you never leave. What are you doing? I know. It was 1 a.m. I was just walking in the other room just for a couple <laughs> minutes to grab something, and I missed it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, well, I, I watched. You just brought them luck. I seriously, I was like, well, if it takes, if that's what it takes to get a win, fine. I would have like seen it after five hours of baseball, though. But I didn't get to. But fortunately, in this game, I mean, let's give a shout out to Hector Velasquez. He pitched the last four innings, didn't go up any runs, and honestly, after his horrendous first start in Oakland earlier in the year, he's actually been really good every time he's pitched for the team. Yeah, I really haven't had too many negative things to say about him. I know we haven't really talked too much about him on our show, but. I think if we're not saying anything bad, that's probably a good thing. I mean, he's been decent, and, I mean, he's kind of what you expect. I mean, I don't expect him to come out here and be a Chris Sale. I just kind of expect him to pitch well enough to get us through, and that's what he's been doing. Yeah, it's perfect. It's really nice to have. And another guy nice to have, Brandon Workman's back, finally, after about three years of being on the shelf in different capacities with Tommy John and different various injuries. I mean, he's got a weird story because he was super good his first year with the Sox, and then his second year he was terrible. He was like 1-10, and and he was like the worst pitcher on the team. Then he didn't pitch for three years. Now he's back finally, and I mean, I always liked him. I thought he was a good pitcher, and he has been so far, and it's so nice to have him be able to go, you know, one, two, three innings out of the bullpen because we haven't had him for so long. I know, it's funny because it's kind of like you've heard the name Brandon Workman for so long, but then... He just kind of, like you said, he's been on the shelf. You kind of forget forget about him, and he just then he reappears. He seems healthy, and he pitches the way he did. It's you have no reason not to believe that it's going to be positive going forward. Right, and at least I mean, at least they did the proper things to get him right to this point. Because obviously, if he came back too early, I'm sure it would have been a disaster. So that was really nice to have. Um, yeah. So following that win, uh, brought us into Wednesday's game. Uh, I attended this game. First game I've been to in three months. It was nice to be back. And I uh, brought them some luck, too, because it was a nice 5-1 to one game, 5-1 to one win, and didn't go to 15 innings. Although I really wish I was there Tuesday, because I like staying there all night long when I go. So I do, too. I'll, I'll never leave. My God, give me 20 innings. I'll stay there all night long. Right. Give me a 24-hour baseball game. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unfortunately, this one was the shortest game they had in about a week. <laughs> it was two hours and 47 minutes, but I'll take a win. A win's a win. This one was Drew Pomerantz against Aaron Sanchez. Pomerantz was a little bit wild. He had five walks, and he threw 116 pitches in six and two-thirds innings. But honestly, it was great that he went that far because it looked like he was going to go about four for a while. And he only gave up three hits and one run and no earned. So he actually was really good. Ended up getting his 10th win. Solid as always. And... Man, Aaron Sanchez in this game was really, really bad. He also had five walks, six hits, gave up five runs, four, uh, three earned, excuse me. The Sox scored four other five runs in the second inning. Devin Marrero had a two-RBI single. Dustin Pedroia also had a two-RBI single. And that was most of the runs. And, I mean, honestly, Sanchez just could not throw a strike. He's been in the DL before this game three times for blisters on his finger and, like, ripped fingernails. And man, shocker, right after this game, he went back in the DL with the same exact thing for the fourth time. I mean, it showed. He, the guy couldn't throw a strike. He was awful. It's, I know, I watched this game. I recapped this game. So just watching him, I was, you know, halfway through his start, I was kind of like, I wonder if he's got blisters or he's got some kind of finger issue where it's bothering him. You know, like you said, right after the game, he went back in the DL. And it really goes to show just like he was not good. And, I mean, I've had 
blisters before, but never to the fact where like they affected what I did. So I can't even imagine trying to throw like a curveball or a two seam fastball with a blister, whether it's on the side of your finger or like the front of your finger, wherever it is, it's got to hurt and it's got to be uncomfortable, but it makes you wonder like, what are these guys doing that these blisters or fingernails aren't healing to the fact where you're going on the DL now four times with the same exact issue. Something's not right. Something's not happening correctly there in those nope. <laughs> those rehab. But God, how how the heck do you throw a baseball ninety five miles per hour with a blister on your finger? How how does anybody do that? I, I can barely walk in shoes when I have blisters on my feet. Exactly. So. <laughs> I was sitting at the game and I'm like, we were me and my brother were talking about blisters and we're both like, how, I mean, we were thinking like, how do you throw with fastballs? But like you said, how do you throw curveballs and like sliders and stuff? Like it's a blister. Doesn't that ball rub on your finger every time you're throwing the ball? How do they do that? It's got to be so irritable, too. And, like, blisters hurt. Even when you're not touching them, they hurt. Yeah. So, just constant irritation. Like, he must have been so uncomfortable. And whether it's, like, you know, the cracked fingernail. I know David Price dealt with that earlier. I've never had a cracked fingernail, but I can't imagine it's any good feeling at all. No. But it's just, like, how do you just, like, I mean, that just goes to show their mental toughness. But still, like, I'd be out there crying. Like, Josh Beckett used to always throw with blisters on his finger, and he, like, never missed, like, he would never run the DL for it. He missed, like, a start here and there, and it just, like, kept throwing. I'm like, is this guy human? Like, what is he doing? I don't know. Pretty wild. So, either way, Sanchez got knocked out after four, and then the Blue Jays brought in Cesar Valdez, who came into the game, like, with, like, a nine ERA, and then he pitched four scoreless innings, gave up one hit, and faced the minimum. I was like, who's this guy? And he was, <laughs> he was great. Fortunately, the Sox didn't need any more runs, because they already were ahead. They got a fifth run in the fourth inning off of Sanchez, and then Pomerantz gave up his one unearned run. Keith Hembry and Ben Taylor shut the door for the last two and a third innings, but, I mean, this game was really just about the second inning, and uh, Sanchez's blister problems and a couple of timely hits by Pedroia, really. I mean, that's all it was. Yeah, Pedroia was clutch in this game. I think I gave him game MVP oh, for a specific one. You had to. He had uh, three hits. Two hits, and three RBI. Drove, that's what it was. And he drove in three of the five runs. That's what it was. But it was just a solid performance from someone who, another person, we need somebody to perform well on this team. Yep, he's been there. He's hitting well over 300 now. He's really rocking and rolling, which is nice. Uh, nice to see from him and nice to see for the team. So this was two out of three for the series so far. It was looking good. Can take our three out of four for the whole series. But that brought us into Thursday's matinee 135 start against the Blue Jays. And uh, this one was pretty wild, to say the least. It was kind of all over the place. It was a really long game. It's kind of been a theme for most of these games. This was three hours and 25 minutes in the hot, blazing sun. But really, this game had a lot of twists and turns. And I'll, I'll break it down for you here. So in this one, Toronto got a one nothing lead of the first inning off of starter Doug Fister, who was facing Francisco Liriano. Josh Donaldson got an RBI double in the first. And then the Sox jumped all over Liriano in the second inning for three runs. Sandy Leone got an RBI double. Mookie Betts got a two-RBI single. Unfortunately, Fister was pretty bad and gave up a couple more runs in the uh, third. They, the Jays put up a four-spot, which really hurt. Two-RBI single for Steve Pierce. This one was a pop-up off Brock Holt's glove. He lost it in the sun. Huge play. And then Ryan Goins gave him a 5-3 to lead right after that. For the four runs, all off Fister. And unfortunately, they were all earned because Holt's should have been error was not because it was in the sun. 
So Fisher ended up lasting four and a third, giving up seven hits and six runs. Not good for him. And Liriano went an inning in two thirds, giving up six hits, three runs, two earned. So to say the starters weren't in this one for very long would be an understatement. Um, but unfortunately, the Red Sox could never come back fully from that 5-3 deficit. It became a 7-3 deficit, courtesy of Justin Smoke, twice. He had, an R- he had a solo home run in the fifth and an RBI single in the sixth to make it 7-3. Fortunately for the Red Sox, Dustin Pedroia cranked a three-run homer off Danny Barnes in the seventh inning to make it 7-6. So close. Unfortunately, Justin Smoke came back and hit his second home run of the game, to make it 8-6 to six in the ninth, he had three RBI, three hits, two homers. Pretty nasty. Pedroia had three hits also, three RBI with his home run. But the size can never come fully back after the 7-6 to six deficit. So it was an 8-6 final. Um, I don't know where to start with this one, but I guess we'll start with the fact that Doug Fister's 0-4 with a 7-8-9 ERA. So he's not working out too well. No, and it's really frustrating because... I mean, I know we got him as a rental, and we got him to just kind of fill a void. He's not even filling a void. He's just he's creating another void that we need to fill with somebody else now. And for him to be 0-4, I know that's not the kind of pitcher he is, so it's so frustrating to get that, that bad feeling when he pitches or when he goes out on the mound, and you're like, oh, great, here we go again. Like He's going to do bad. We're going to get runs. And it's frustrating, and... It's not like the Rick Porcello situation where you can't say that we're not scoring runs and we're not giving our pitcher run support because we're clearly, we scored runs in this game. It's just a matter of, you know, I know the Sun played a factor in some of the runs, but it's like they wouldn't be scoring these runs if you weren't pitching so badly. Right. I mean, yeah, ZRA is almost eight. That's that's a little high for uh, uh, just Just a little bit. To expect to get wins? Not going to do it that way, I don't think. So. Nah, probably not. And this game was just annoying because, like, you want to win a game where the other team's pitcher goes an inning in two-thirds. I mean, they they yanked him early. He only threw 54 pitches. I mean, at least Farrell let Fisher go 100 pitches and, like, work through his outing, even though he wasn't good. But mm-hmm. Liriano got pulled real early, and fortunately for the Jays, Dominic Leone, Joe Biagini, Ryan Tapera, and Roberto Osuna were all really good from the bullpen. Everybody besides Barnes was good, so... You hate losing the game that the other starter doesn't even get out of the second inning, but unfortunately. That's, that's what happened the Red in this one. He's in a nutshell. Yeah, that it is. So two and two in that series. Um, you obviously want more against the team in last place home, but too late now. It didn't happen. So brings us into Friday's game against the Angels, the start of a six-game West Coast trip. And Chris Sale started this game, and when Chris Sale starts games, you're usually in pretty good shape. And when you score five runs in the first inning of those Chris Sale starts, you're in even better shape than you were before. That's exactly what happened here tonight. Tonight meaning Friday night, this night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ricky Nolasco was awful in the first inning. He could not get anybody out. The Sox scored five runs before even getting two outs in the inning. Andrew Benintendi had an RBI single. Mitch Moreland, RBI single. Moreland scored in a wild pitch. Bogarts had an RBI single. Jackie Bradley Jr. had an RBI double. Five-nothing just like that. And really, it's funny because Nolasco settled down after the first inning and ended up getting through four at least, giving up another run in the fourth on a RBI single by Betts. So he lasted four, giving up nine hits and six runs, one strikeout. Really ugly for him. Meanwhile, Sale just decided to do what Sale does when he gets a lead, and that's pitched really well. He went six innings, four hits, no runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. Pretty typical for Sale. Uh, the bullpen gave up a couple runs late, but it was 
way too late and way too little, even though the Angels' bullpen threw four hitless innings. Sorry, five hitless innings, but was not enough to overcome the 5 nothing first inning. And I guess, I mean, the thing to highlight in this game is Chris Sale got his 200 strikeout on the nose with his nine strikeouts. Unbelievable. Like, I know every week we say something something very positive about him, and it's usually along the lines of, of is this guy human? Like, who is this guy? He's just a beast. He's a monster. And he's in really good company with those 200 strikeouts before, you know, X amount of games. You know, we're, we're just fresh off the All-Star break. This guy is going to get 300 strikeouts easy. Like, Maybe 350 would be like pushing it. That's a lot more strikeouts to get before the end of the end of the season. He's on pace but, for 333 right now, ugh. which is insane. Like if you think about it, if he just goes, if he gets 10 more from here on out, that's obviously he's going to get at least nine. That seems to be the trend. It's just he's going to get he's he's just going to blow all these like strikeout records out of the water. And right now, if the season ends today, he's he's getting the Cy Young. There's no questions about it. Oh, he absolutely has to. He's 12-4 and four with a 248 ERA and 200 strikeouts. It's not even August yet. Ah, amazing. I, pa- love this, I love this guy. Pedro got have- 313 in 1999, and that was like the most historic season ever in sales. I'm pissed to get 20 more than that. <laughs> and then, is Chris Archer still, I haven't checked the, the strikeout standings. Chris Archer's since. second in the AL. There's three NL guys that are ahead of him, but yeah, he's like 50 strikeouts ahead of Archer or something. <laughs> Because the last time I checked, he was like 35 ahead of him. I was like, oh, God, he's never going to catch him. He's absolutely blowing that guy out of the water. It's not even close. I'll give you the stats right now. Because even the National League guys, it's still not that close because he's just gotten so many. I mean, 200 before August. I think I read a stat that only 12 pitchers in Red Sox history have gotten 200 or more strikeouts in a season. And there's still two months left of the season. Yep. Two full months. Yeah, more than that. As I said, it's not even August. We still got another, you know, six Can't days. Can't Right. So, here's sales uh, strikeouts. Um, he has 200. Max Scherzer has 192. So, he's the only one in even, like, close to striking range. And then Kershaw has 168. And Archer has 167. So, sales 43 strikeouts ahead of Archer. Jeez, that's so much. That's a lot of strikeouts, too, because... You know, average, what, six, seven strikeouts a game. That's like seven games behind someone. That's it, absolutely ridiculous. This guy's on a whole other level. This is, like, you just can't, I don't know, he leaves me speechless. I have no words. Yeah. No, I think it's hard to argue that him and Scherzer are probably the two best pitchers in the league. I mean, Scherzer's 11-5 and five with a 226 ERA, 192 strikeouts and a 170 opponent's batting average sales is 195. So, like, these guys are just... Unbelievable. The walk numbers are so low and not a lot of home runs for the amount of starts they've had. It's it's incredible. Just give them both a Cy Young. Just call it quits for right now. Just give them both a Cy Young right now. Well, especially since Kershaw's out, which we'll talk about later. So that bolsters his case even more for Scherzer. So, so yeah, that was pretty exciting. Nice to get a win, uh, a comfortable win on the West Coast. Unfortunately, it'd be the only win that the Sox get on this three-game swing in L.A., because on Saturday, the Sox lost 7-3 to to the Angels, even though the Angels are not a very good team, and we can thank David Price for this one. Um, he was really bad. I recapped this game, and he was nasty. 
He gave up seven hits, six runs, five earned, three walks, five strikeouts over five innings. Threw 102 pitches in five innings, which is not good. And the sad thing is that he was given a 3 nothing lead in the first two innings. The Sox scored three runs off J.C. Ramirez with uh, Hanley RBI single, Mookie RBI double, and Benintendi RBI single. But Price gave up four runs in the third inning, capped off by Angelton Simmons' two-run homer. And then he gave up a couple more runs in the fifth inning to make it 6-3. to three. And that's when he came out of the game. And, I mean, you stake a 3 nothing lead, you're playing a team that's three games under five hundred, and then you give up six runs? Like, what? I don't know. I'm just, I mean, it's, I'll give it to him. It's, you know, it's essentially his first bad start since coming off the DL. But, you know, you have the lead. If this isn't. I, I don't get it. I don't. He is the most confusing, annoying, infuriating pitcher this season. And I just, I wish I knew. Like, I wish I could be inside his head just for one start before, during, and after. I don't want to be anywhere and, near his head. <laughs> well, <so> after, <laughs> after what we learned today, I'm not really sure either. But I just, it just blows my mind that he goes out there with, with, a, with a lead, a comfortable lead. It's not, you know, a one nothing lead. He's got three runs on him. And he just implodes. Like, what the hell happened? Yeah, I know. You were just getting comfortable with his pitching, and you're like, all right, here he goes. And then he goes out and throws a stinker, which is really, really annoying. And, you know, after losing two out of the four to Toronto and then finally getting a win against the Angels, just to go back and lose again there on Saturday was really annoying. Uh, and that brought us into Sunday, the last game against the Angels. And this was a Rick Porcello special, and... uh he did how he knows how to do, which is pitch really well and lose because nobody scores. And that was the same exact case in this game. Um, it's a 3-2 Angels win. Porcello went the entire game, 8-inning complete game. That's his second out of the last three games doing that. And they're both losses. He gave up five hits on three runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. Unfortunately, all three of his runs were solo home runs to... Simmons, Trout, and Valbuena. Unfortunately, the Trout and Valbuena one came one after the Red Sox took the lead after Hanley Ramirez hit a home run to make it 2-1. to one. So that was a little frustrating, but Parker Bridwell pitched pretty well. Good enough to hold the Sox to only six hits. The Angels only got the five. I mean, home runs aside, the guy pitched 96 pitches and he went eight innings and he still can't get a win. It's just like... I swear, they're just sitting there like, oh, Rick Porcell is pitching. We must not score. <laughs> it, it really seems that way because I think, what's this, like nine, ten starts where they fail to score, like two two or more runs. Or, yeah, I forget what, what some crazy stat. Uh, the stat yeah. Lars gave on his recap was 12 starts where they've scored two or less runs. That's pathetic. <laughs> it's, it, I mean... I don't expect them to win games, you know, all the time, 2-1, 2 nothing. But it's like every, like you said, every time this guy goes out there to pitch, the team forgets how to play. It's like they just crap themselves and they just don't know what to do what to do anymore. And it really only seems to happen when Porcello's on the mound. So I don't know where their heads are at when Porcello pitches because obviously we know he's he's not pitching like he did last year, but he's not pitching as horrible as his record shows either. And I think that's what people, way too many people jump to the conclusion, like, oh, he's 
this and this and look at all those losses look at his era it's like yeah okay but go back to those losses and look at the score of those losses look at the innings he went the pitches he's thrown this this strike to ratio it's it's all there like these should be wins and they're not and it drives me absolutely nuts because you take i said this last week you take half those losses and turn those into wins his record is drastically different yep it's four and 13 now which is not not how he's pitched at all. So it's 12 of those 13 losses, like, or is it just 12 of his 13 starts? Well, like, either way, they lost. So 12, yeah. 12 of those 13 losses, take those, take just the 12 losses, turn in the wins, that's 16 wins. Like, that's so different. Just like last year. And you had to give the guy credit. He's staying completely even keeled. He's just like, that's baseball. I got a lot of run support last year. I didn't this year. I love the guy. I mean, he's so, like, down-to-earth and just, like, accepts what happens, and, like, he's not a little child about it. And he easily could be. He's gotten 13 losses a year after he got Cy Young, and he's not pitched nearly that bad. This guy could be going throwing fits every night, and he's just not. I'm surprised he hasn't busted through those locker room doors and just absolutely just wreaked havoc in that clubhouse. I'd be pissed. I'd be, I mean, I'm pissed now just talking about it, but it's just... Just to show, like he kept, he keeps his composure. He's like, whatever. That's it is what it is. Kind of attitude. Just goes to show what kind of like the maturity level he has as a pitcher. I'm like, you know, David Price. Mm-hmm. Yes, can't wait to get to that. But yeah, Rick's great. I knew I liked him. I like him even more now. Uh, he'll get his win sometime. Uh, so that was the week, a three and four week. Not great. I'm gonna give the MVP to Hanley Ramirez because he had a walk off home run. He had two home runs on the week. He had two two plus hit games. And honestly, I mean, there wasn't a lot of fantastic performance this week because they really just didn't play that well. But I, I mean, give it, give it, give it to Hanley because he got the job done. You could have given it to Chris Sale too, but I feel like we've yeah. given it to him so much this season that let somebody else take the cake this week. Chris Sale automatically wins it every week just by default, so we can <laughs> we can spread it around after after him because he's the man, and we all know he's the man because he's going to be the so Cy so that first part of the show, my recap and your MVP of the week, is brought to you by SeatGeek. The SeatGeek t- ticketing app, the smartest and easiest way to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. You can get a $20 rebate on your first purchase by downloading the free SeatGeek app to your phone. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code Garden Report, all one word, for a $20 rebate. rebate and SeatGeek knows who sent you with the Garden Report, so make sure you use that. Garden Report, and get your $20 off. It's great to get $20 off your tickets, and their mobile app, I'll tell you, is really easy to use. I love it. It's so it's so simple. My mom can do it, so I know all you guys can do it, because she has the hardest time with apps and everything, but she is a seat geek, so she, and if she can use it, like I said, then you guys can do it too. That should be like the Geico. They should change their thing from a caveman can do it to Lauren's mom can do it. <laughs> Lauren's mom, Lauren's mom and grandma. If they can do it, I have full faith in everyone else out there. That's right. So go get that. Seeky. Garden Report. CLNS. That's where we're at. Uh, we're going to get to David Price in a minute, but we just want to start with uh, a little little tribute here to our little super fan, Ari Schultz, who actually is from my hometown of Stowe, and the really heartbreaking story of several heart transplants. He was a huge super fan for the Red Sox, loved Xander Bogarts. And uh, just a really good kid, and he unfortunately passed away last week with another complication from his many issues he's had. So, I mean, it's a very sad story. Uh, his parents went through quite a bit, and to have him be from my hometown, it definitely 
hits close to home, and a lot of people felt a lot of a lot of joy from uh, from seeing his story. So it's just really sad that that he couldn't make it. It is. It's it's terrible. He's so young and he went through so much. But one thing like that makes me happy, even though he didn't get to make it to Fenway, is that he got to meet Xander Bogart. So that great picture of him with um, Vasquez and Bogart. So that that kind of warmed my heart a little bit. Obviously, it's incredibly sad for such a young kid to go through so much, but always seems so happy in every video that every picture, every video, he's smiling, laughing, wearing Red Sox gear. So it, I felt like legitimate sadness when I read that he had passed. I was like, wow, like I didn't know this kid or this family, but just to be connected to the team the way we are. And, you know, such a young child, like you said, he's from your hometown, which is next town over from me. So just it hits close to home. It's really sad, but I know that the Red Sox are obviously sad by it too. And I think what like really makes me the saddest is that he didn't get to make it to Fenway to throw out that first pitch. Yeah. But fortunately the report was that he died listening to the game. So yes, <laughs> that's as fitting as it can be if that has to happen. So rest in peace, Ari Schultz. We will miss you. Everyone will miss you. All right. Let's move on from the sad stuff. Um, I don't want to go straight from that to destroying David Price. So we'll ease into it. Let's, we'll ease into it by talking about Paulo Sandoval and the fact that he was picked up by the Giants, the same team that he won three championships with after the Sox released him last week. And basically, the transcript of what he said, without actually being the transcript, is, I'm an idiot. I left this team. I shouldn't have left this team because I thought I was going to a better place. I ripped everybody on the way out, then went and failed somewhere else. So I'm really sorry about what I said because I want to be accepted back to this team because nobody else wants me. This is essentially, that's essentially what he said in like regular people terms of like, I, I apologize for what I did, blah, blah, blah. It was lame. He's back there. Who knows he's going to get to the majors, but like, what a joke. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. What a joke. And it's just, when I read his, his trans, when I read that transcript, I'm like, are you joking? Like, I mean, we all knew when he signed here, it was completely marketing. We all knew that. We all called it from the get-go. But just to go back to the team, like, you ripped apart, that, and this team that really made you who you are, that gave you the name, gave you the championships. And, you know, I hope I hope he does well, whatever. I don't think he's going to see major league action unless, you know, there's September call-ups. Giants aren't doing too well this year, so maybe just to give him some major league time in a place where he's comfortable. And, I mean, I'll be – if he does get called up, I'd be really interested to see, like, how the fans welcome him back. Probably won't – they'll just cheer him. I don't imagine them booing or kind of hating on him. But it's just – good riddance. Get out. Like, you never have to hear that name again. Yeah, they're bad enough that they'll probably just be like, Yay, Sandoval, let's get the panda hats back. Yay. Lame. Yay, panda hats. He's not old enough to be a joke at this point, but he is kind of turning into one. He's good. Unfortunately. He's good. All right, so from one joke to another, um, let's, yes. let's dig in here. Uh, we know this is what you've been waiting for for the last 35 minutes, so we'll we'll make you happy here. I'm sure you've heard plenty of, plenty of this from other podcast hopefully you listen to our round table with with some chat about that so hopefully we're not repeating too much here but bringing up an, an old subject from about a month ago uh dan shaughnessy came out with a piece yesterday 
for this for the uh, Sunday Globe, where he found some details about this wonderful exchange between David Price and the great Dennis Eckersley, who we love so much. Um, so, for a brief description of what went down, um, basically what happened was what you heard before. Eduardo Rodriguez didn't pitch well in his rehab, and they showed the stats on the broadcast, and Eckersley said, yuck. That's it. said, yuck. Pretty harmless. And apparently he came onto the plane, and Price was standing up waiting for him and stood in front of him and shouted, quote, here he is, the greatest pitcher who ever lived. This game is easy for him. And then as Shaughnessy said, when a stunned Eckersley tried to speak, Price shot back with, get the expletive out of here. Yes, it begins with an F, ends with a K. You know it's where it is. That's what he said to him. And then here's the part that really is strange that we'll get into is it said many players applauded, and then Eck made his way to the uh, the card playing section in the middle of the plane, and Price went at him again and shouted, get the expletive out of here again. And then the same stuff you heard afterwards where Price said the next day, some people just don't understand how hard the game is. I stand up for my teammates, blah, 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 yada, yada. John Farrell said they handle it internally. And the other biggest thing from it was that Price never apologized. Farrell never apologized. I'm assuming none of the players who were applauding apologized. So I don't even know where to start with this, but I'll start with saying screw David Price. I don't care what we're talking about here. People are like, you have to separate the baseball from the people. No, I don't care. I watch these games. I support this team. But I don't get how anybody can support these actions, being disrespectful for someone. Eck is so funny. He's a great guy, and, like, he just calls it how it is, and more people need to be like that, and Price just comes in here, and he's just a little baby to him. I can't stand this guy. He said yuck. He said yuck. Like, he got mad over a, a word that a child uses to describe things. I, I, like, I was so mad when I read this article just because I already lost some respect for David Price just from the other altercations with Evan Drellick and then with this whole Eckersley thing. But reading this, like, any ounce I had of respect for him is gone. And like you said, I, I know you need to separate baseball and the players. I get it. I know you need to do that. But when it comes to your demeaning, your mocking, your bullying, like, this is stuff that he supposedly stands up for and doesn't – he does a lot of work with kids, which I, I can respect that. But don't go – like, don't be a hypocrite. Like, these kids look up to you. There's – teenagers who look up to you there's adults like me and you who look up to him and it's just like you are being the biggest baby and who cares if Eckersley didn't like Rodriguez's stats like they're not good they're not they're not what they should be and I don't really think that's Price standing up for his teammates at all I think that's him being a pompous person and just almost using like his name and his title to like kind of be Mr. Entitled over here. It's nothing. I mean, the whole thing, like when he went, when Eckersley went over in the plane to the card section and they, and price yelled, you know, get the F out of here. It, what made me mad was when he got, before he even got on the plane, the whole, Oh, greatest pitcher alive. The game's so easy for him. Cause Eckersley never said the game was easy for him. If anyone knows what Eckersley has been through on the field through his career, like nobody would say that. And I'm surprised that, I mean, if I actually punched Price in the face, I would have been totally fine with he that. He should have. Oh, I would have loved that. Oh, just, like, decked him right there. And, like, he deserves the it. The players are playing, like, whatever. If they're, they're, not, they're probably not going to name names. Like, 
whatever. Who even knew if they knew what they were applauding? But I don't care that the people stood up for or applauded for Price. I care that Price acted like a child multiple times. Like, just say it once and be done. You don't need to keep mocking this guy and keep yelling at this guy. Like, he did nothing to David Price, which the whole thing is makes it even crazier. He did nothing to David Price. He just said, yuck. And David Price, if you... I know you're watching because you love to search your freaking name on Twitter. Grow up because this is like the worst we've seen you. This is the worst thing you can do. Like you're 30 something years old. Like I know 10 year olds who will act more mature than that. And it's absolutely mind blowing. I hate this guy. I want him off this team. He's going to become a clubhouse cancer if he's not already. It's like just, just opt out and leave and we'll pretend like nothing ever happened. He's a pathetic role model. He's... Literally has the mentality of, like, a 10-year-old bully who's trying to make friends in, in elementary school. And he's, he's th- he thinks he's, like, he's like the biggest fake tough guy you've ever seen. Like, he thinks he's so tough, like, oh, yeah, like, screw you, David Price. You have no, you've been here for a year and a half. You've hardly even been here. How can, who does he think he is to say, I don't care how much money you're making. This is stupid. It's, it's irresponsible. It's disrespectful. It's pathetic that, that anybody applauded for him. It's pathetic that Farrell didn't apologize to him. It's pathetic that Price couldn't even have the balls to apologize to him. The whole thing's absolutely pathetic. I don't care if it's brought up from like a month ago. I don't know who got the details or how Shauncey came up with this. Nobody wanted to be named in it. Who can blame them? And it's just like, I want to root for my team, but like you said, I just want him to opt out. I hate this guy. I can't stand him. He's been nothing but a pain this entire time he's been here in his career. And I don't care how good he is. I don't care if he pitches well. He's clearly a pathetic guy. He can't handle anything. And it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's not, this is not normal. It, this, the, the way he went about this is literally like bullying. Like, this is like schoolyard crap from middle school where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm so tough. <laughs> You're a loser. I'm going to make fun of you. Like, you are such a loser. This guy is absolutely so unbelievably pathetic. I can't even stand it. I want to, like, throw something at a wall just talking about this guy. I can't support this guy. I don't want him on my team anymore. I don't I don't blame you. And with that, I'm going to do what I always do and just remind people that I wanted Johnny Cueto. Well, you would not see Cueto doing this. I don't care that Johnny Cueto's not having a great season this season. You'd have better chemistry. This guy's going to destroy the clubhouse. You need to start thinking, it's almost August. We're going to be getting into playoffs soon. And he's probably not going to win a playoff game. And it's just like, if David Price comes out tomorrow and says he apologizes for his actions or whatever, maybe I'll have, like, a teeny tiny bit of respect for him. But nope, at this point, it's, <laughs> but it's, been, it's been a month now since this whole thing happened. Like, I just, I don't care that they're handling it internally. There needs to be an apology issued somewhere. I probably get that shit probably sailed. But I'm, I just, I can't, I can't even with this guy. And... It's just gotten to a point where, you know, it's not just him pitching poorly. Because he was never, he wasn't pitching poorly. Like, he can't, and it's not him acting tough on Twitter because he kind of put that on the download for a little while. But if he's not blasting someone on Twitter, he's blasting someone in real life. And it's just like, this guy needs to get his head on straight because if he opts out, if he, whatever we do with him, nobody's going to want him. Nobody's going to want that negativity. And whether that's happened or not in the other teams he's played for, like Boston is a totally different team. The media is completely different. It's just a whole new atmosphere in Boston. And he clearly can't 
handle it. And I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it always being something negative about Price because I don't want to have a negative opinion of him. But the fact that he mocked Eckersley, who is well-respected, one of the most respected players out there, Cy Young, Hall of Fame, like, and David Price is going to come in here and just be like, oh, oh, screw you, buddy, basically. And it's just like, and you know it's bad when Jared Carabas, who is a super fan of David Price, and he's going against it, and he's saying, like, his behavior is, I can't defend his behavior. You know it's something really bad. Yeah. A guy who was his friend. Clearly turned mm-hmm. on him, because how could you not with this guy? There's so few people out there who support this guy in any way at this point, because how could you? It's just, it's sick. And then did you see today? I, I put in my pregame notes tonight. He said... He, he, he was walking in the clubhouse, and they had Pardon the Interruption on the clubhouse TV, and they were talking about Price versus Eck, and Pedroia's like, hey, David, check this out. And he was, and Price said, quote, oh, cool. Screw you, man. Oh, cool? Is he five? Like, oh, yeah, look at this, I'm on TV. <laughs> Screw you, David Price, I hate you. I don't want anything, I, just leave now. I don't even want you on my team, I don't care how good you are. Screw you, screw you, absolutely right, screw you. Awesome. And one final time, screw you, David Price, just for the record. A big screw you, a big screw you. I don't think I've ever hated a player more in such a short period of time mm-hmm. on a team that I support. It's sick. Sick, sick, sick. All right, let's move on to better things, or we hope better things. Uh, Rafael Devers was called up from AAA today, just a couple, short couple weeks after going from AA to AAA. They weren't waiting around. Third base has been a struggle. This guy's supposed to be really good, and now he's here. So Rafael Devers is coming up, and he's starting his first game on Tuesday. So, I mean, is this a desperation move? Did this happen too quick? Is it smart? I mean, he's supposed to be real good. I mean, he's, yeah, he's supposed to be real good, but so is, you know, Mankata. And I feel like they kind of rushed him because the same thing. They didn't really have many options at third base. So I do have a lot of concerns uh, I think it was more of a panic move. He's made four errors in nine games. I know he can hit, and I know that's kind of why they're bringing him up, more so the offensive reasons, but it's like this kid has so much potential. He's going to be so good, and we know that. I don't want them to rush him here, and I feel like that's what they're doing. And I don't want his career to get destroyed. I don't need him getting derailed for any any sort of reason. If he comes up here and just absolutely crafts the bed and he can't figure out figure it out at the major league level, it's going to destroy his confidence. He's young. It's really just going to manipulate his, his whole confidence. And we can't all be Andrew Benintendi, who's just a freak and is just a stud. And I hope that that's how he turns out to be. I don't want him to fail at all. I just think that they're rushing him up here. I don't really have the best feeling about this whole thing, but I hope he proves me wrong because I, I, I want him here. I want him to be the future third baseman. I think he's going to, like I said, I think he's going to be great. I just have way too many concerns right now about him being called up right now. Yeah, it's definitely concerning. Obviously, you want to compare it to Ben Benintendi because this is exactly what he did last year. You know, came up midseason and then eased his way in, and now he's really good. I mean, Mookie Betts obviously didn't spend any time in AAA and went straight from AA and did his thing. So you have your good ones, you have your bad ones. Obviously, we'll hope Devers is one of the good ones. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have, I don't necessarily, I know Jared on last week's show said that he didn't expect Devers until September, and here we go, a week later, he's already here in July, so I definitely am hesitant about it, 
in another sense, I can see why they'd want him up to see if he's good, you know, trade deadline soon, kind of see what you have over the next couple of days. Um, I don't necessarily think they're going to make a move for a third baseman at all, but it's like, it'll be good to see what this guy can bring. I know Dombrowski said like two weeks ago that he didn't want him to feel like the pressure of a playoff run and like the pressure's all on him. This isn't a very good way to prove that to him, bringing him up here already, but I guess we just got to hope for the best because he's here now. He is, and it's just kind of like, I hope he doesn't feel that pressure where it's like, hey, kid, save our season at third. Welcome here. Welcome to Boston, save our season. And I just, I, I'm very, very concerned, but like I said, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he does well, and I hope there's no errors made at third. I know that's kind of a big thing with him, but... I mean, only time's going to tell. He's going to start on Tuesday, so we'll see him in uh, about 24 hours. Yep, we sure will. So those are your Red Sox news. Uh, obviously, we'll be letting you know what happened in the trade deadline on next show because that'll be right after that. So we'll see if Woo. see if the Sox do any moves. Um, we'll move over to some MLB headlines here for a bit. Uh, Clayton Kershaw came out of the Dodgers game yesterday, and he's going to miss four to six weeks. And in the same day, Steven Strasburg came out of the – Nationals game uh, with an injury as well. Looks like his might not be quite as bad, hopefully for the Nationals. But two uh, marquee pitchers going out in the same day with injuries. I mean, Strasburg's been incredibly fragile his whole career. Now Kershaw's gotten injured a couple of times, too. I guess you can't be but so good, right? you got to get knocked out by the injury bug. Yeah, I mean, it hits everyone at least once. And it's really unfortunate for Strasburg. Like you said, he's just kind of been a glass house his whole career. And... I think they like they said that it's more of a precautionary thing because he just couldn't he felt like he couldn't get loose enough and maybe it's just like muscle tightness and stretch and dehydration could really be been anything doesn't sound too serious which is good for the Nationals and good for Strasburg I love this guy I've been following him for years so I hate it every single time he had injury after injury so I hope that's not too bad but I mean Kershaw that's just that's a hit and a half that's that's a big one. I don't really have much to say about that. Like, that sucks. I hope he comes back closer to four than six weeks just because I, I like the guy. But, man, that that's tough. Yeah, and, I mean, it's a back injury again for Kershaw, and he, he already, he's already missed time for that in his career before. So, I don't know, maybe his violent movement to his pitches is finally catching up to him. He's only 29, but, like, he's pitched a lot of innings. He's gotten a lot of strikeouts and a lot of mileage on that arm, even at his young age. So, it's like... When you have a repeat injury like that, that's a little concerning for them. I wouldn't be so confident if I were the Dodgers. No, I wouldn't be confident either, and I would proceed with it very cautiously. And I, I don't think they'd rush him back. I would hope they wouldn't. But it's, except it's a repeat injury. Those things are, once once it repeats, it's going to come back to haunt you, whether it's Tommy John, knee injury, back injury, anything. It's going to come back, and it's, it's not going to be well because – it's never, when you injure something, I just feel like coming back from injury, it's never going to be 100%, or it's never going to be what it was. I mean, look at Strasburg. That's a perfect example of that. But Or Matt Clement, when he was hitting the head from the Red Sox all those years ago, he came back, he was never the same pitcher. So it was just, I mean, anything, any kind of repeat injury or serious injury is really concerning, especially someone like Kershaw. Cause I, I like watching him pitch. He's, he's fun. He's been great for all these years, and he's like you said, he's 29, so you know this is where he starts really getting like really good before he kind of declines when you get into your early 
to mid thirties. So, I mean, it definitely sucks, but I don't know. Back injuries are, are no, nothing to mess around with. Fortunately for the Dodgers, they're the best team in the league, and they're having an unbelievable season. They're even better than the Astros at this point. So, yep. fortunately for them, they should be able to uh, hang around without him. And but obviously, they're wanting for the playoffs because he's one of the best pitchers in the league. So we'll see and what that's happens. Six weeks from now, so well, a little, little past six weeks, eight weeks, but yeah, time will tell. We'll see how quickly he comes back. And then the other major major league uh, note was that uh, Todd Frazier got traded. To the Yankees, along with uh, David Robertson and uh, Tommy Canely, I believe is how you say his name. Um, it was pretty much determined the Sox were going to get Frazier, and then all of a sudden the Yankees just decided to steal him away. Like, where where do they come from? They weren't a part of this, were they? <laughs> they I did not do anything about them. And when I saw that he signed with the Yankees, it totally made me think of when Teixeira signed with the Yankees, because I'll never forget it was Teixeira's going to sign with the Red Sox. The deal's in place, blah, blah, blah. I don't even think it was a half hour later. It was like, oh, never mind. He signed with the Yankees. Like, what? Like, why? How? Like, how did this happen? They always come out of and nowhere. They do. And, you know, whatever. I don't, I didn't really care if we got Frazier or not, but I really thought we were in the front running for him. I never thought it was the Yankees. So that's why I was just kind of like, those Yankees, do it again. But, I mean, they need all the help they can get. They're declining. They don't, they're in third place. Just, they keep losing, but so do we. So it's just like even more frustrating. But just I don't know. Those Yankees just doing Yankee things. Hopefully he doesn't do well. I mean his average already blows, and it has for years. So hopefully he can just fizzle away with his terrible average there and not hit too many home runs for them because you know we don't need him going there and helping them win the division. So no, screw you, Todd Frazier. Sandoval's, Sandoval's average was better than Todd Frazier's when Sandoval was released. So. I can see why you weren't. There's that little, little throw in their face. I can see why you weren't thrilled about getting him. So there you go. You didn't have to get him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our predictions. Hopefully, we can do better than last week. Uh, we've had trouble predicting because this team's kind of been week to week here, all over the place. Really good, average, not so good. Um, hard to be confident with them right now. They've lost ten of the last sixteen games. Still got a two and a half game lead in the division, fortunately, but just having trouble uh, consistently scoring runs, as has been the problem for. The whole year, you need David Ortiz back for runs, and you need David Ortiz back to put David Price in his place and show the real boss and the real leader because we all know it's not Price, and it certainly was Ortiz, so missing him badly. But regardless, we'll pick the week. Um, three against the Mariners at Seattle. Uh, first game is in progress right now. It's 4 nothing Mariners in the ninth inning, so hopefully the Sox can make a late rally comeback. Wouldn't count on it with the way this offense is going. But uh, three against the Mariners, what do you got for this series? Uh, like you said, I'm not feeling very optimistic about this team, kind of on a week-to-week basis. It's just really weird. Uh, I'm going to go, they're going to lose two out of three. They're only going to take one of this series. Just from this whole, you know, the West Coast, I know it's hard traveling, whatever. But after the series against the Angels, the whole David Price thing, I don't think their heads are going to be 100% in the games. And, you know, West Coast games are hard, I get it. But I, I just don't see them taking more than one game from them. And it's kind of looking that way tonight already. Yeah, you're looking pretty smart. I'm not looking so smart. I'm picking two out of three. Obviously, we picked these before the series started. And um, I was feeling good about a couple wins. The Mariners are two games under 500, But the Sox ran into a really good pitcher, James Paxton, tonight. And that was clearly an issue. He got 10 strikeouts. And another note from tonight, Doug Fister came in because he's now in the bullpen for the time being after his struggle. So 
Hopefully he can pitch better in the bullpen than he did in the, in the rotation because he could be useful if he can not give up eight runs per nine innings. Um, moving on to the next series after a Thursday off day, three versus the Royals at home. Royals also, as are the Mariners, pretty average team, around 500. Um, I've got winning two out of three from Kansas City just against Seattle. Hoping for uh, two and one against both these 500 teams for a four and two week. Obviously not feeling great about that, but hopefully going back home they can make a little run. After winning the next two out of three, or the, the second and third games against Seattle, because that's what they'll need to do for my prediction to be right. So I got a four and two week, two and three from both. And what do you have for Kansas City? Uh, same thing, two and three. I, th- I think they're going to win two out of three. Just going back home, being with the Fenway crowd, and I I want to say sweep, but I'm not still not 100% confident in this team. But 500 week, which I will take after the three and four week from last week, not the best, but if, they, if they're going to start winning, they need to start doing it now and start doing it against teams that are, you know, like the, the Mariners and the Royals, those sub-500 records. And they just need to get back on track. They need to focus on baseball and not focus on what's going on on an airplane. So I need to – they need to get their heads right in the game and just play play their hearts out because now it's it's getting close to August. So playoff baseball is going to be right around the corner. So they really need to start – winning these games and start running away with the division. That's right. As they're capable of doing, they have a good team and they need to put it together and stop worrying about what people think of them and hopefully they can get it together. So we'll see what happens this week. Um, We'll definitely be back next week to talk some trade deadline. Uh, In the meantime, make sure you go get your uh, $20 off SeatGeek using Garden Report. Make sure you support CLNS in our new endeavors here with – the new social media handle at CLNS Media on Twitter, as it's now media and not radio. Uh, we hope you enjoyed another another edition of uh, video here with us, uh, the Jared Scalyless edition of Red Sox Beat. I hope you back next week. So until then, hopefully you, you enjoy this show and the video, and uh, I guess the takeaways from this are that David Price sucks, Raphael Devers hopefully is really good, and uh, Pablo Sandoval, uh, have fun in San Francisco again, I guess even though I don't really care what you do. So (laughs) that's it for us here. Lauren Campbell, Jess Thomas, Red Sox beat CLNS Media, and we will catch you on the flip side of next week, Trade Deadline Edition. Goodbye.